And so we thus have Romans 12, verses 1 through 5. Follow along as I read. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Today's message, elect, not elite. Something that you uh, will frequently hear when sermons are preached, and I've used this terminology myself on occasion, is that now we will talk about the practical application of these verses. That's how some people talk about these verses as we're considering them today. Some say that at this point, Paul turns from technical theological discussion to now practical application. However, in reality, Paul does not turn from being a theologian to becoming a pastor, so to speak. There's no such division like that in this text. And there's no such division, I, I would even hazard to say, in Paul's thinking at all. This is not Paul leaving academics for devotional meditations. Whether we realize it or not, when those kinds of distinctions are made regarding these verses, whether I've made them myself and guilty of it or somebody else, this is evidence of man-made impositions on Scripture. In these verses, Paul makes no division between the theological and the personal and the practical. And as I mentioned last Sunday, one of the things that Paul tells us here is that in terms of Christ's government, he creates an elect people, not an elite people. You know, the very idea of premillennial pessimistic eschatology is that there are few that be saved in comparison to the whole. Our postmillennial eschatology, based on Scripture, tells us just the opposite. The fact that God has an elect and not an elite is de facto, meaning that there are massive numbers of people who will come to faith in Christ before he returns. Now, Paul describes the, the, the elect people as, first of all, having to engage in or having the duty of spiritual worship. The old King James has it as your reasonable service. This is the, the spiritual worship, the reasonable service of the elect. But then secondly, he exhorts us not to divide ourselves into an elite leadership versus the common people. No, we are one body in Christ. We are to present our bodies, he says, as living sacrifices to God. Now, the word there about presenting our bodies Parastasi in the Greek was a word that was used in those days to describe the presenting of an offering in a temple as a sacrifice. And it's interesting, you find that same Greek term used in Luke 2.22 to refer to the presentation of Christ, the child, in the temple. Unless there be any question, let's understand that our sacrifices cannot make atonement. 
The Lord has completed all of our need for atonement because we, we cannot make atonement for ourselves. So ours are sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Paul writes here what calls back to mind the text that we heard earlier in the Older Testament reading from Leviticus 7. Along in Leviticus 7.13, we read, Along with their fellowship offering of thanksgiving, they are to present an offering with thick loaves of bread made with yeast. So in Leviticus, this is the sacrifice of thanksgiving to God, of peace with God, using leavened bread. And the fact that it's leavened is meant to symbolize its corruptibility. It, it represents our gifts and services to God, because what we do is imperfect in just about every way. But the Lord requires of us a reasonable service of spiritual worship. In the book of Psalms, chapter 50, verse 14, we read, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And in a previous chapter, here in the book of Romans, Paul had already written, and this is Romans six thirteen, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. It is very important to understand that it is our bodies, somata in the Greek here, that we are to present as a living sacrifice. The reference is to the body as a whole, to the living beings that we are. See, Paul is not calling us to some mystical, spiritual meditation, some yoga-like thing or other. We are summoned to the offering of our total life to God's service, wherever we are and in whatever our respective callings. Paul speaks of our bodies here in the terms of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, as we would understand it, as being in our several stations and places in life. Paul is giving us divine guidance about how to live by faith. And he tells us how we do that, what that looks like in the church, in the state, in the community, in society, every area of life. Now look again at verse 2. I'll read it from a slightly different translation. Be not conformed to this world. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this age or this world. Paul says that we are not to be conformed or fashioned by our times, by the culture in which we live, but by the revealed will of God in his word. Now, the term translated as conformed, that has reference to our response to the current thoughts in our time, the way people think today, the, the tenure of the times. It refers to being assimilated and accommodating to the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age around us. Dr. R.C. Sproul wrote these words concerning this issue. He said, you know, various Christian groups say that the essence of Christian piety is refraining from going to movies, wearing lipstick, and dancing. He said, those things reduce the spiritual matter of eternity to trivial things. The kingdom of God, however, is not about avoiding lipstick or card games or movies or dancing. He said, it is about obeying the law of God and living lives of godly spiritual obedience, end quote. Because we are to be transformed or transfigured. By the way, it's the same Greek term used here as in Matthew 17 and Mark 9 to refer to the transfiguration of Jesus. 
We are to be transformed. We live now a changed life if we are in Christ. We are a new creation, as Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are to be transformed so that we may understand and know what the will of God is and then conform ourselves to it. Professor John Murray, in his comment on these verses, says something that's very, very telling. He wrote this, The will of God is the law of God, and the law is holy, just, and good. Notice, this is Professor John Murray of Westminster Seminary. He continues, We may never fear that the standard God has prescribed for us is only relatively good or acceptable or perfect that it is an accommodated norm adapted to our present condition and not measuring up to the standards of God's perfection. He concludes, the will of God is the transcript of God's perfection, and it is the perfect reflection of his holiness, justice, and goodness. Friends, let me invite you to do a Google search for the phrase, how to know the will of God. Or however you might search a phrase like that to find out what people say in answer to that question. How do I find the will of God? You know, I, I didn't do a technical analysis of this, but just a cursory search. You'll find hundreds of pages and articles referenced, and very few of them give biblical advice. Almost none of them anchor their prescriptions for finding the will of God in the infallible word of God. Or at least they only touch on it and then move on to something else. Most of them are deeply rooted in various forms of pietistic mysticism and assorted weirdness. But as Professor Murray said, and as scripture clearly indicates, the law of God is the will of God. You don't find God's will by morbid introspection or by meditation, but by reading and understanding his word. Now I want you to consider something that I think is extremely important about this. Faith is not merely a private spiritual concern. That's the way modern evangelicalism has styled it. Faith is public and private, and it is the expression of God's life and law through us in both realms, public and private life. The fact that this important issue is largely missing from most evangelical and many Reformed churches, is telling. It is indicative. It is indicative because we are living with the outcome of that misunderstanding and avoidance of what God's Word teaches. Paul's words in verse 2 are in the present passive imperative tense. And they are thus a command. Stop being fashioned by this world system. Paul requires of all believers... A radical reversal of values. Now in verse 3, he says more of the same thing about this change. He says, "For the, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has given him. See, we are not to be governed by our self-evaluation, nor by our opinions, but in terms of faith and God's standards. This means that we do not judge ourselves by comparing ourselves with those who appear inferior to us. No, we do this in terms of God's grace. We are what we are by God's grace, not because we made ourselves into some great thing. And in case it's not clear, 
This is another knockout blow to humanistic elitism. See, elitism, the, the being governed and the ruled by the few who fashion themselves as far superior mentally, intellectually, academically, morally than all the rest of us, that is the, that is the, the, the card-carrying issue of humanism. That's the way humanism works, and that's why we find ourselves in that situation today, where we have, they may be a large in number, but not compared to the population of the world, but they fashion themselves the global elite, and they're going to decide to manage the entire world according to their worldview. Our talents, though, are a gift from God. So the greater measure our faith, the more honest and realistic is our opinion of ourselves. You know, over the past month, the month of June, many people have quite correctly pointed out that there are more than a few problems with the idea of having a pride month. See, we read here that it is not pride, but grace that is required of all of God's people, no matter how gifted we may or may not be. We are all to render service to God, each in our appointed way. Paul says, through the grace given to me, and so we are to think and act under grace. The purpose of whatever abilities we possess is not our self-glorification, but the kingdom of God and his glory. In his character, characteristically wise fashion, Martin Luther, in his commentary on Romans, says about verses 4 and 5, and I quote, Paul gives us God's picture of the new humanity in Christ, not a division between elite and the masses, but many diverse and complementary gifts of one body. Now, now keep in mind that, that Paul has done all this writing to the church at Rome in particular and generally in his epistles and writings from within a specific culture, from within a particular society. And that Roman society was largely based on this issue of elitism. It was the idea of being ruled by an enlightened group of elite men that justified, among other things, in the case of Rome, mass slavery. Best I could figure, based on my research, at one time, and this was in the early Christian era, there were upwards of 10 million slaves across the Roman Empire. That's a lot of people enslaved. So there is a sense that Paul is using familiar terms in these verses, familiar to the people to whom he was writing, but his biblical use of them argues against elitism. The head of the body is Christ, not an elite group of rulers. The church is Christ's body, and the body is ruled by the head. Christ the head is also the head of all principality and power, including Rome, including the U.S. government, including every government on earth. Christ is king. Now, on the human level, all of us are members of the one body. We may have differing offices and functions, but we are everyone members of one another, he says in verse 5. The head uses the body... Although certain members of the body may be more prominent than others, all members are used by Christ and are his instruments. And again, in contrast, the elitists, they use people to accomplish their humanistic evil goals. Not to function as one body, but to function solely for their selfish evil ends. In our time, we have seen this especially 
in communist countries, such as modern China, although I think it can be validly argued that modern China is not so much communist as fascist, but the principles are the same, and especially in the former Soviet Union. Dr. Gary North wrote uh, once about a guy who was one of the founders of the Communist Party USA in the early 20th century. And that man, whose name was Benjamin Gitlow, turned against the Communist Party and testified against it in Congress. And that man talked about how the Communist Party commanded a degree of loyalty from its members comparable to God. And his, his testimony to, to con- the Congressional Investigating Committee in the 1940s, he, he took that testimony and he put it into written form and he gave it a title. The title was, The Whole of Their Lives. W-H-O-L-E, The Whole of Their Lives. See, that man understood what the party had demanded from him and all other members was complete, total sacrifice. No human institution, Dr. North said, may lawfully place such a claim on any human being's life. Organizations may try, but they cannot sustain that kind of unquestioned, absolute, total loyalty generation after generation. And the fact is, by 1989, 70-plus years after the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, faith in communism such as it was had disappeared. And a few years later the Soviet Union, collapsed. Dr. North said, for any human institution to claim such dedication from its followers is to make a false claim of divinity. It requires the divinization of some aspect of the creation. God, he said, will not tolerate such claims. He is a jealous God, end quote. Paul here tells us, only God possesses a complete ownership of each person. He does not share his legal claim on all things with anyone or anything. But as we just learned and heard, there are false contenders. There were then in Paul's day, there are today. The Lord uses us, my friends, to accomplish his divine purpose. All God's elect people have a mutual dependence on one another. We are not only members of the one body, we are members of each other. So from the biblical perspective, the head of the body is Christ Jesus But for the elites, both then and especially today, the head is the scientific planners, the dictatorship of the corporate boards, the the central banks, the elite rulers, the people who have more than you, who know more than you, who are better than you in their own eyes. And all these other groups that claim to be the body, the head, the Messiah in the world today. Friends, we can only be members of one another if we are, first of all, members of Christ Jesus. There is no life in the body apart from him. Elitism wants to conform us to the state, to the government, to the rulers, to whatever it may be. Paul tells us that we must be conformed only to God's law word in Christ. And in this we can see why Paul And these early followers of Jesus were seen as a major threat to the social order, whether it be the Jews in Palestine or whether it be especially Roman society where Paul was operating. Paul's kingdom message was undercutting the foundations of that society and its worldview. And all worldviews have consequences. Every day, 
We're affected and influenced by those competing for our loyalty. And we're often not even aware of it. But the biblical overview says that God made us for his purposes. And Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, again, don't become like the people of this world. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let us pray.